This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Smarts and Strikes Podcast. We cover every bump, every spot, and chat with all the talent around the world of wrestling. Here's your host, Bill Matz, former WWE referee Kevin Keenan, and Eric Golden. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Smarks and Stripes. We are here with yet another special episode. We have a huge guest coming up in just a little bit. One of the greatest characters of all time, an awesome wrestler, Hurricane Shane Helms, will be joining us in a few minutes. But My guy, Shane. Yeah, first, we just got to get right into this. Uh, Kevin... There's been, I mean, I only want to talk about this this week because of the conversation between you and Turtle in our group chat sure. about the end to Hell in a Cell. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, It's one of the most talked about things in wrestling. The referee stops the match uh, with Seth Rollins and, and uh, The Fiend. Just what were your thoughts on that finish? It was very... It was lame. It was, yeah. cer- it was certainly lame. Um, but in context to what we were talking about in, you know, in the group chat, you have to... You have to take a step back and realize what they were doing there. Yeah, should a hell in the cell be stopped? No, it shouldn't be stopped. It's hell in a cell. That's the point. Um, I do agree with referee Rod Zapata that the, uh, I don't know if you saw, but he came out with a statement earlier uh, this week, I believe yesterday, that uh, performer safety is always number one priority. Um, And that was the reason behind him stopping the match. I completely agree with that. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm totally for that. Performer safety uh, is first, that is number one on the agenda, uh, and then everything else does come after. And, like, in context, we're gonna, in, in a kayfabe context, we, you see those headshots and go, this isn't something we always see, this is above and beyond. I didn't hate it the way other people seem to have hated it, just the general consensus on the internet, but the internet's always angry. But I will say I just thought it was backwards. There are times you build a heel just so the face can vanquish him. I don't think it's that time. I think this is the Bray Wyatt story, and what should have happened if we were going to have this kind of finish is Bray just mutilates everybody. Well, you gotta, like, he kills the ref. Yeah. He kills ten other refs who come out. They have to lift the cage. It's a mad scramble. Vince comes out, and he tries to kill Vince. Like That's the kind of no finish I wanted to see who's with, to with say, Bray. But who's to say that's not coming? And like I said, like I said a couple minutes ago, you have to understand. It's what, always about what's next. What they did there. Yeah. They are so desperately looking for an Undertaker like character. Yeah. You know, the dead man's not going to be around forever, clearly. You know. <laughs> Actually, you know what? He might be. I'm not willing yeah. to say he's not. No kidding, right? But they so badly need to replace that kind yes. uh, of character. Think about it in in the real world type thing. If if you or I got curb stomped, we're out, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if anybody else gets curb stomped, they're out. This, you know, Bray Wyatt the Fiend got curb stomped, you know, 17, 20 <laughs> times, and he's kicked out at one. They hit him with everything but the kitchen sink, they being Seth Rollins, and he kicked out at one. You know, they 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 made a character indestructible. They didn't beat him. They didn't beat him. No. They they made him indestructible, which 
to your point, who's to say after being in, you know, telling that story of becoming indestructible and, you know, if you want to look at it in this way, being the next undertaker, who's to say that all that coming down the line, all that stuff that you brought up a few minutes ago doesn't happen. That's, you know, I, I never argued the finish with Turtle. My, my, my argument with him was, is that his side of it was, is that they killed the best thing they had going. I don't see it that way. They didn't kill the best thing they had going. They very much advanced the best thing they had going. Could they have done it a different way? Sure. Certainly. But that's the way they decided to go. And now the story is going to continue to be told. And I will say, I do think they... His comeback at the end was very, like, just with the lights, the old cane lights that they had, the, the presentation, I thought it was very, uh, uh, just well done. And then him coming back at the end and ultimately getting over on Seth, that's, we we killed Jason, let's celebrate. And then he pops up and kills all the teenagers at the end, and that's what happened. Indestructible. Yeah, that's and I thought they made him look good that way. Uh, real quickly, we had uh, Billy Corgan's NWA make its... Uh, oh. de- Power awesome. made its debut on so uh, awesome. made its debut on YouTube. Can't put it over enough. No. It was an hour. I it's it's so different. It's just so much different than anything else going on in the wrestling business right now. We're not going to get too deep into it, but I will just tell you. You got to go check. Kevin it out. and I are both really into this NWA thing. I thought it was a fool's errand when Billy Corgan bought the rights, and so far so good. I think you're going to find that opinion a lot. Yeah. Um. The attention to detail. Yes. The the production, the the way the show was laid out, everything from Cornette to the Rock and Roll Express to, you know, the newer guys, you know, not newer guys to us, but newer guys in the realm of NWA, Eli Drake and, and guys like that, James Storm, who we've known uh, forever. So cool. So the old, the old adage with What's old is new again. Yeah. Um, it's really, really cool. It's getting a lot of eyes. I made sure I texted uh, the NWA champ, Nick Aldis, and told him how blown away I was. If you guys haven't checked it out, uh, Nick's match with Storm, Tim Storm, was absolutely off the charts. Episode one is out on YouTube now um, with more to follow. I'm, I'm, I'm very, very excited for that new venture. Kev, do you, I think it's getting breezy in here. Is it? Is that what that is? What? Stand back! There's a hurricane coming through. Shane Helms joins us next on Smarks and Stripes. All right, Shane, lots to get in with, uh, into with you today. Uh, however, your victory over me in fantasy football last week is definitely not one of them. We're going to leave that out of the equation. You cool with that? <laughs> you ain't, so you ain't going to mention that you've like never beaten me ever? You're just going to leave that out? I'm, I'm going to leave it out. Bill, you know what I did a couple years ago? A couple years ago... Uh, First or second year I played fantasy football with Shane, I went on Facebook publicly and said I was going to beat him the night before. Smoked me. And you just never have. Never, ever have. Smoked me. You set yourself up there. Yeah, tell me about it. I'll I'll never do anything like that again. Uh, Shane, but let's start here. Uh, But, but. But to be fair, uh, my quarterback had like the week of his life last week. So this is like one of the worst teams I've had since I've been playing. And I'm like, but my quarterback came through. He had the infinity gauntlet last week. so And, st- and still couldn't do it. Still couldn't do it. That's awesome. Uh, Shane, let's start here. I know you uh, I know you mostly do Raw shows at this point, uh, and you were not in Los Angeles for the debut of uh, SmackDown Live on Fox last week. But from the standpoint of a performer uh, and now a company employee, what does the switch to Fox from USA do for the performers and the company as a whole? It's not just what it does with us. It's what it does with the industry as a whole. You know, I mean, just being on, uh, you know, 
that platform of Fox being on network TV as opposed to just cable is huge in terms of how we're perceived uh, by the world. You know what I mean? Even during the uh, the Money Night Wars, which a lot of people consider the heyday, you know, we're still on cable. We're still the black eye of the sports entertainment industry. You know, still not necessarily black eye, but the redheaded stepchild. Um, if you could even say that these days, who knows? But <laughs> uh, I, I apologize to any stepchildren out there who may or may not have red hair. But I mean, now coming to this to this network is huge. It changes perception of, of what you know the pro wrestling industry is and what it can be. Which those of us in the industry we know and we've known this all along. But you know, the battle against the haters and the outsiders you know, has been ongoing since pro wrestling's inception. So I mean, this is huge. It's a huge moment obviously for, for the company and everybody involved with the company, but it's a huge moment for the industry overall. And like, that's one of the things where, you know, even when I left WWE in 2010, you know, I can never knock what that company has achieved in terms of what they've done for the business. It's global reach. You know, and when I say global, I mean that in terms mm-hmm. of all of the countries that it is in now, it's open doors for all these other little companies. And then I'll see those companies sometimes, especially during like WrestleMania week, these companies always have their little things to jab at WWE. Meanwhile, they'll piggyback and offer WrestleMania running the show right, right. down the road. You know what I mean? So, oh, yeah, they're, um, they're, they're in, they are where WrestleMania is for the reason of this is where the wrestling world is. There's, it's never been a, a secret there that they're absolutely piggybacking. Shane, you just talked about the, uh, the advantage of being on network TV and that sort of exposure. I want to talk to you about the, the perception within the company that I, it's always felt to me that Raw kind of was the priority. It's kind of the A show, but now we see, I mean, SmackDown, we have all the celebrities, it's on Fox. This is a big freaking deal. I mean, Brock Lesnar's there. Is Do you think uh, there's more of an advantage to being on SmackDown now, or is it a level playing field? What's the what's the feeling about which uh, about the priority of the shows? I mean, it's I mean, it's going to be networks, so it's going to be a little bit differently. I mean, we're only the second weekend, so I think it's a little bit early to, uh, you know, make those kind of statements, but I mean, anytime you got a bigger stage, the the reward is greater, but the risk is too. You know, if you strike out in your backyard, nobody sees it. If you strike out in front of millions, everybody sees it. So, uh, and I'm talking about mainly the performers there. Um, so anytime you're on that bigger stage, like I said, you know, you, there's a lot of risk, but the reward is greater. So, I don't think there's a lot of internal uh, hype about a show or B show in there. I think a lot of that comes from the outside. We used to play around with that when you know. Uh, Back in like 2005, 2006, when I was on SmackDown, and I, the brand split was a little bit more decisive back then. Yeah, we would yeah. kind of joke around about the A show and the B show like that. But you know, um, recently, and especially since I've been there, there was so much talent that was on both shows. You know, how could you say there was an A show or a B show? So we're gonna have to wait until you know a, a couple months in, maybe a year in, to see what SmackDown is doing by itself against Raw like that. And you know, and to be honest, I don't really see a benefit on categorizing one show as the A show or B show or no, you know, anything yeah. like that. But that, that's kind of like something that fans do. And, and, you know, I'll let them do it. You know, as long as they're watching, let them call it what they call it. But it's not something I really get into. Shane, uh, you talked a few minutes ago about the about how you left the WWE in 2010, but you are back now. Uh, you came back earlier this year in a backstage role. How did coming back into the company come about after uh, after your absence? Now I say left, they say fired, but well, you know we'll just meet in the middle. <laughs> we'll know, meet in the middle on that. You are no longer um, with them, and now you are. 
you're back together. Yeah, I mean, it was yeah. a, you know, I had a 10-year run there, almost a 10-year run, though, so it was kind of time for me to bounce out anyway. Um, but, you know, we all, always kept uh, good relations with a lot of people there. Uh, you know, never, you know, like I said, I didn't, I didn't badmouth the company because I didn't have anything bad to say. You know, I've never been one to mince words. If I got an opinion, you'll probably No, not hear it. you, man. So, um, you know, it wasn't that I ever didn't have anything bad to say, you know, just like, you know, it wasn't the case. So, um, but then I, I just did a lot of things with other companies. You know, I know I signed a contract with, uh, Lucha Libre USA. That was a couple of years. You know, I did TNA for a couple of years. I did Ring of Honor for a year. So I was all over the place. You know, I never stopped wrestling. I never stopped, you know, continuing my career and being who I was, unless I was hurt. You know, I had a pretty bad motorcycle wreck uh, that took me uh, out of commission for uh, a year and a half. Um, so other than that, you know, I was always still doing my thing. And wrestling is always what I wanted to do. So I never backtracked or slacked off just because I wasn't in the WWE. But fast forward, you know, I got an opportunity, and I was still working with Ring of Honor at this time when this opportunity presented itself to uh, go down and be a guest coach at the Performance Center in Orlando. You know, and I stayed professional. I uh, talked to the Ring of Honor uh, guys and said, hey, I'm going to do this uh, guest coaching uh, gig. And, um, you know, they were cool, you know, didn't have any uh, fallback from that at all. So I went down there and did that a couple times, and there was interest right away in bringing me back. Uh, and I did go back to the PC a couple times, and, you know, um, I told them I'll do the coaching thing. I think I, you know, I definitely can do that. But my goal was to be a producer. That's why I think my I'll be the best asset. And there was still a process that I was going to have to go down to, uh, you know, move to Orlando and be a, a producer down in NXT for a while before you know you come up to the main roster. That's what the, the process was explained to me. And meanwhile, you know, they started the paperwork on that process. But before it kind of got finished. I get a call from Triple H, you know, to talk about bringing uh, me up. Would I like to come to the main roster? And I was like, well, yeah. <laughs> you know, I didn't really, nothing against Orlando, but I don't want to move down there. You know, I, my family's here in North Carolina. I wanted to stay here. And being on the main roster allows me to stay home in North Carolina and just travel the world, you know. Um, so uh, it, it kind of just all worked out. You know, um, I couldn't have asked for anything better in, in, in that regard. For those who don't know Shane uh, and they hear the term producer, many will They'll often equate that with an actual behind-the-camera television producer, which I guess uh, in some ways it is. But what are the duties of a WWE producer, uh, which is formerly known as a as a behind-the-scenes agent? Uh, you're kind of the middleman between the talent and the uh, creative. So you're more uh, a director might actually be. You know, right. uh, you know you're, uh, there's a lot that goes into it. I don't want to get into too much of the behind-the-scenes talk. Sure, you know, sure, I kind of sure. did that with Era Lucha. I went there, and, uh, you know, I was a producer, and I kind of, like, trained somebody to be a producer, and then they didn't bring me back. <laughs> <laughs> you trained your replacement. Yeah. yeah I, I ribbed myself. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, but um, th- there's a lot that goes into it. and But, but it's really fun. It's kind of like being a coach. You're still a coach to a degree. You know, you can come up with game plans and you can call all these plays, but the athletes still got to go out there and run them. They still got to go out there and do it themselves. So it's a very weird job. You're not going to get a lot of thank yous. You know, you're going to have to get used to that, which I already was, you know, (laughs) (laughs) just just based on my career alone. Um, You know, you're not going to get a lot of thank yous, but if something goes wrong, you're the guy that gets the heat. That's that's the part you got to get used to. So, um you know, like I said, it, it can be difficult, but when it, when it goes right and you're out there and you're on that headset and there's a really great match that goes on and stuff like that, and you contribute ideas to this creative process, when it, when you hit a home run, you know, it's a really good feeling. And it, it feels almost as good as being out there. 
not quite. And nothing <laughs> can beat that feeling. But uh, it's, it's close. Bill, Bill, you ready for this? I am. Uh, I'm actually going to say something nice about Shane. Uh, I can't believe I'm going to do it. Our group chat's going to blow up later. But Shane, I've always admired you for this next thing I'm going to bring up here. Uh, it's You've always been ahead of the curve uh, when it comes to whatever the next big thing was going to be. Like I, Bill, I can remember back when, when I was still at the company. Shane, I believe, was already on Twitter. Uh, Shane, I think you were either one of the first or the first uh, to be on that platform. Uh, podcasting as well. Before podcasts were, were all the rage, you had the Highway to Helms podcast, which you just brought back. Um, earlier this year, what were you able to see in those platforms, if anything, that told you this is the future and in many ways is going to have a massive impact uh, on our society as we go on? Um, well, I looked at it more from the industry impact in terms, not really society, but that's because I just wasn't looking at that. Mm-hmm. I just looked at it as fan engagement. You know, I had a, I think I still had the longest restaurant run website ever. You know, I had my website back before you could even buy domain names. It was like GeoCities or Geocities or <laughs> yeah. shit, oh, stuff like those. that. And you used to have dial-up message boards even before you had websites. You know, I went to college for computer programming, so oh. uh, I could do that stuff. And even back on the indie days, I designed like little web pages for all the Omega guys. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that we never, I don't think we ever even had put them out because they would have to learn how to do it themselves. <laughs> I, would, I told them, oh, I'd create them for you. You're going to have to maintain them, but none of them knew how. I only think any of them even had a computer, like maybe Matt did, but that might have been it. <laughs> but, you know, fast forward, uh, I was, um, I would always do my website, and, um, you know, I had a big message board on there, and you could, you know, fans can, like, send you emails, or they get, like, on their message board, they kind of have this a little faster way to communicate with you. You know, I couldn't reply, especially at the height of my career, I couldn't reply to all the emails because uh, the, kid, the kid messed up and got over, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> How dare you, but, you know, do that? And then, uh, you know, I discovered that MySpace my was actually where, where it started. You know, I was like one of the first pro wrestlers on MySpace. And, um, you know, I, I found that. And I actually had my MySpace page. I got WWE to link it off my WWE profile. So you could go to on the WWE website to the Hurricane page, and my MySpace page was linked off of that. They really had no idea what social media is. And I don't even think they were even calling it social media back then, but that, that was just my MySpace page. Yeah, we were no, definitely it, we were definitely MySpace friends back in the day, Shane. Just to let you know. Oh, really? Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> well, without a doubt. <laughs> was I in your top eight though? Uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure if you quite <laughs> made the uh, quite made the. Was it the top eight? Is that what it was? My God! Yeah, top that eight. That feels like that feels a like lifetime another ago. lifetime ago. God. It was a lifetime, and so then I, you know, like I just stayed on the curve with that. You know, I saw it. I saw the the real quick interaction that and fans were eating that up. You know, and you could like interact with people. And I could really control how, um, you know, the company does all they can to promote you, but they can't do everything. You know, there's a million people there. I mean, it's a lot bigger now, so they'd probably be a lot better at it now. But back then, they really couldn't. Well, if the company wasn't promoting me like I felt they should, I was promoting myself. And so, and then, like, even when I turned heel as Gregory Helms, you know, my social media on MySpace changed. Now I wasn't nice to everybody anymore. I still stayed in kind of character even back then. Like I said, and then I discovered Twitter, and I actually set up the Twitter accounts for like half the locker room, like Matt, you know, Matt and Jeff and Stacy Keebler and all these other people. I actually set up, helped them set up the Twitter accounts for them. And I had a talk with some of the people in, in the office about what Twitter was and how we could use it, and they kind of brushed me off. <laughs> and now like, look right, at whatever. it. <laughs> and, uh, but lo and behold, it did take off. It was just one of those things for me. I, 
I didn't have any idea the impact it would have. I just knew that the fan interaction was what I liked. And I was like, man, if we can get this like instantaneous feedback and reaction instead of waiting days and you know months and stuff like we have to used to do when I was a kid. I used to wait for the wrestling magazines to come out. But hell, it would take months for them to come out. So that the wrestling magazines were all old news by that point. You know, which is kind of why they're dying, sadly. But you know, this is how it is. But we can give them up to date information and get up to date feedback. That's how you're going to stay ahead of the curve. And that was just my thoughts on that. That's awesome, Shane. Because like uh, like Kevin said, it seems like you've been ahead of the curve with a lot of th- a lot of these these things. And we've seen wrestlers use social media a lot now uh, and podcasts to connect with uh, to connect with their fans and use independent avenues like YouTube to advance their characters. Is there anything you're looking at right now that maybe is the next thing, the next maybe it's underutilized that the boys can take advantage of to, to have that, to make that connection just be on the cutting edge of whatever's next? Is there anything you see for that? Um, there, there's a couple of things that I'm still uh, experimenting with, but uh, you're just going to have to pay attention to my social media to, to see it. Just watch what I do, and lo and behold, it generally always what everybody else will be doing later. Um, so no insider tips then. Damn. No, it. you don't get no. See, I'm done giving away all this free information. <laughs> you know, that's awesome. I'm gonna put that in here. Uh, there's um, there's nothing. Yeah, you know, I think the social media would kind of hit a plateau a little bit. You know, with Twitter because there's been other, um, you know, there's been other platforms that have come out that have tried to duplicate what Twitter is, but people seem to be, okay, I got Twitter. I don't need another one. You know, uh. Instagram came close, and Instagram is close. You know, it's you know equal or superior because now we can do pictures. I ain't got to read all your nonsense. I can just see a picture, and I can scroll and move on and move on. And then that feeds into everybody's short attention span that we all seem to have these days. But, I mean, if you got Twitter and Instagram, I mean, you kind of you got a good foothold on how to put yourself out there if, if you want to, to put your thoughts out there. And there's good and bad to that. You know, I mean, if you have good thoughts, you know, spread them. If you got bad thoughts, they might come back to bite you. So, got to be careful. Shane, a couple seconds ago, you uh, we talked about a lifetime ago, and the business is different than it was ten years ago today. Different than it even was, say, five years ago. And you know, keeping with social media, um, when I came into the WWE system was where I really learned um, and really learned and understood the business. I knew how to get sympathy for a baby face, how to get heat on a heel, tell a good story. Three key points in getting over with the crowd, and I think social media and Twitter in general uh, has kind of made it harder for at least two of those points to properly get accomplished. From where you sit, uh, maybe from a wrestler-performer standpoint, what is the role of social media in today's wrestling world? Uh, repeat that last line a little bit. It kind of went in and out. Uh, where is the, uh, what is the role of, today, of social media in today's wrestling world? It should be uh, to help. You know, it should be just a little bonus. It shouldn't be what you're all about. You know, if it's what you're all about, then why do I need to watch you on TV if you give everything away on social media? Right. That's a great You know, point. Why, do I got, why do I got to pay for what you're giving away for free? You know, and also, I think there's some characters, not all, but there's some that they kill their mystique. Now, keep in mind, I've already had my run, so I don't have to build mystique. So some of the things I'm saying, there are people that go, well, well you kind of, you're kind of an open book. And I'm like, yeah, but it's because my story's been told. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had my run. You're trying to build. You know, I look at a, at a, some characters that come up. You know, if you're trying to build like somebody like the Road Warriors today, if you're building a team like that, well, then people are going to get on the Internet and find out who they were. 
before, and that's going to that kind of hurts the mystique of, of anybody that's out there today. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, so you got to be careful if you're trying to have like if the fiend is out there and Bray Wyatt and he's putting up all these, you know, videos of him like with puppies and just you know what I'm saying? Right, just yeah. that kind of takes away from the character a little bit. Sure. I mean, it's one of the things that helps Brock Lesnar so much. Brock Lesnar just you don't know never what he's thinking. You just know it's probably not nice and that he hates everybody. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? I mean if you just saw him, you know, just whatever being just a super friendly guy, it's cool to know him as a human being, sure. But it's like it's, Titus O'Neill almost killed anything his heel run whatsoever because when he posts on social media, you see that he's just really amazing human being doing these amazing things. No, yeah, it's impossible so, to boo somebody like that. Yeah, I'm never going to boo him. Just, I don't care what story they tell me because of who he's put out, who he is. And I'm, I'm not saying in, in his particular instance, I'm fine with it because he became an ambassador and he's more of an ambassador role right now, and that's fine. But I'm never going to boo that guy again. It's just not going to happen. Want to so, switch? Want to switch gears a little bit here, Shane? Uh, with, with there are just so many options out there now. Like you said, uh, everyone piggybacking off of you know those uh, those WrestleMania weekend events. But now we have legitimate alternatives, and we're, there's wrestling on network TV again. Uh, million channels carrying a bunch of different companies. It feels like we're on the verge of something big again, like that Attitude Era. Is there a buzz within the company, like? I know it's it's some of it might be down the line competition for you guys, but wrestling industry as a whole, does it feel like something big is brewing? I mean, it, it kind of does, you know. But I mean, for me, it's it's hard for me to um to just point anything like that because I'm kind of generally positive about everything anyway. So even when wrestling wasn't at its great heights, I loved it. You know what I'm saying? So I mean, I'm just as happy now as I was when you know all those years ago. But it, it does seem like something's right around the corner that's just going to make everybody go crazy. And I, I can't, you know, I, I definitely can't give away any secrets about what the company has played. Sure, sure. But um, I, I think the future is going to be incredibly bright. I think we're really at a really good point, especially as fans. You know, I don't know the fans what they what more they could ask for in terms of content and what's being put out there. You know. And not even just, I mean, obviously not just by WWE, you know, almost every night of the week now, there's options. You know, when I was a kid, I had Saturday morning and Saturday afternoon, and that was it. Now we got all of these options, and it's really just, it's a wild time. I want to jump all the way back here. We talked about uh, the last boom period, and Shane, you were kind of right on the end of that last boom period. I want to cover some WCW stuff real quick. Uh, you come in as a member of Three Count, and not for nothing, uh, a gimmick that really should have been given the shove, especially given where we were with pop music and stuff back then, NSYNC, Backstreet Boys, uh, two of the hottest acts at the time. Uh, talk about signing with WCW and coming in to do that specific gimmick. Oh, well, it wasn't my idea. <laughs> but um, it was just an opportunity. I mean, to be honest, the hurricane wasn't my idea either. So uh, I was given opportunities in both those, uh, you know, both those examples. And I just ran with it. You know, at the time, WCW was still a huge company. Like you said, it was on the tail end of the Monday Night Wars. Uh, and Jimmy Hart had this idea for a boy band. And, you know, we I got hired off a tryout match. Um, the first tryout match I did, uh, Bischoff wasn't there because that match was the night after Owen fell. So Bischoff had left to go uh, be with Brett or to meet Brett or something like that. So Bischoff wasn't at the show I did. 
and I kind of like, oh man, I said, man, I missed my, you know, under, I understood why he wasn't there, so I'm not upset at Mr. Sharp whatsoever. But sure. you know, like, uh, so during the week, I like, I really don't know what was going to happen. I was like, man, did I just miss my opportunity uh, or anything like that? But then they called me during the week, and it's like, okay, we're going to fly you down to Houston because we heard you did good. We're going to give you another, you know, another dark match or whatever. And I remember thinking that was pretty odd. They don't generally fly people in for dark matches. Generally, it's just somebody that's local, well, unless you have a name, which I, I didn't. Right. But they flew me and uh, me and Shannon down to Houston, and we had a dark match with Kaz Hayashi and his kid named Blitzkrieg. And, you know, I mean, basically, we did the match. You know, match went great, came through the curtain, and they offered me a three-year deal right there. And, um... It's not that easy, kids, for anybody listening. <laughs> you know, uh, keep in mind, I had did the Indies for like eight and a half years up until that point. I was just ready. I'm, you know, they were looking for American cruiserweights at the time, and you know, I was in great shape. I could do everything. You know, I had studied so many styles, Japanese styles, lucha, European styles, and I kind of meshed them all together. So I was just somebody that they were looking for. It's really good timing. I don't want to get into the death of WCW uh, too much, as the story has been documented, but I'm curious – to know through the eyes of Shane Helms what you were thinking during this time. At what point did you realize the ship was not going to recover from hitting the iceberg? And were were you putting any backup plans in place? Or was WWE always where you knew you were going to try to go or at least go regardless, regardless if they swooped in and bought it or not? Well, I mean, we can see that WWE was winning this war. This war had been won at this point, you know, even when I first got there. Um but I didn't really have a lot to compare it to. I wasn't there when WCW was, you know, really bad in the early 90s and then got super hot during the mid-90s. I wasn't there for that, so I didn't have anything to compare it to. The only thing I had to compare it to was the indies. Mm-hmm. And at, at its worst, WCW was still way better than that, you know, you know, especially the pay. You know, so I was still having fun, man. It was still for me. I was a young kid on TV traveling the world, so I was still having the time of my life. And... um and I remember having talks with some of the other guys who who were kind of down in the dumps about, you know, different rumors and stuff they were hearing about the companies. And I was telling them, listen, guys, you know, we're not in those meetings. We're not making any of those decisions. The only thing we can control is what we're doing in the ring. That's the only thing we can control. I said, so that's what I'm worrying about. So, so she- I, I didn't I didn't waste any energy worrying about anything else. But so if you want to ask me if I had a backup plan, no. You know, my, my A plan was always just to be in wrestling. And at that time, I don't think anybody thought the company would really go under. You know, no, I don't think anybody really believed that. And we especially didn't believe the WWE was going to buy it, even the day of, even the day of that final Nitro, because we'd heard all these um, a million rumors. And sometimes the office would kind of work us a little bit. Not even working us to lie to us, but working us just to keep morale up like a coach is going to do in a football game where you know your team's going to get their ass kicked, but you got to cheer them up so that they'll play. You know what I mean? I didn't have any coach last week when he was whooping my ass in fantasy. You had no coaches. There was nothing they could help you out when the pterodactyl swarmed on you. But, um, oh, go ahead. But uh, so anyway, no, like I said, we didn't really believe any of the stuff. Even on that the day of the final Nitro, like there, there was a sign on one of the doors that said WWE or McMahon's or something like that, or WWF at the time. And it might have said McMahon's, but we didn't, like, we was like, oh, they're just goofing around. It'll be like Fred McMahon or some other gimmick that they've come up with. And so we didn't, none of us knew, and I specifically didn't know until Shane McMahon walked in that room. Because we had a talent meeting, and Shane McMahon walked in there. When he walked in, 
that was the paradigm shift of the business right there. And we knew that the war, the, the war was completely over and that they won hands down. So Shane, after after all that, you know, you, you're there that last night. Uh, you're at you're in Panama City. You have that meeting, and then you're one of the guys who gets uh, who gets picked up by WWE from WCW. Uh, if you can remember, can you take us back to your first day at WWE TV and kind of compare it to the WCW experience? Uh, I can't exactly remember the first day of TV. I remember my debut, which was a couple weeks later, and that was. That was pretty stressful. <laughs> uh, so I'll, I'll go into it. I'll tell you this, too. I was the first contract they picked up. It was the first phone call that uh, Johnny Ace made. You know, Number Johnny one Johnny Ace was brought over as, as the uh, head of talent relations for, you know, I guess the WCW guys. And I remember him calling me. And he's like, yeah, he, goes, I, he said, I'm making the phone, guys. You're the first guy I called. So I just happened to be the first guy. And they're telling me that WWE picked up my uh, contract. And I was like, yes. <laughs> you know, so I kind of did a little happy dance around the house. Um but WWE was just a, you know, it was a better run organization, you know. Um, but they had decades of experience of the people that were running WCW too. So, you know, you got you got to give them that. But um, at the TVs, everything was cool, no real heat. There was a definite division with some of the guys, you know, from the WWF side who didn't necessarily want the WCW guys there. And I mean, you got to understand, it was just a war, and now they're bringing over the losing team to take their TV time. There was a lot of WWF guys that weren't happy about that shit at all. And they were cold to some of the guys. Now, I had some friends in the locker room, so I was cool. Um, but then a situation happened at one of the training centers with me and Buff Bagwell. Well, I, I had to handle myself and handle my business, <laughs> if you will. I heard you got pieced up in that fight, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, you, you <laughs> might want to retract that story. <laughs> but the best part about that story is uh, Bruce Pritchard was telling me this. Um, and he actually told it on his podcast with uh, Conrad that he had to explain to Vince. He goes, yeah, there was a fight at the uh, training center and between Sugar Shane and Buff Bagwell, and Buff Bagwell had to go to the hospital. <laughs> and, uh, and Vince was like, what happened now? He goes, oh, Sugar Shane beat his ass. And then Vince goes, who the hell is Sugar Shane? <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite part of the story. And, um, you know, so anyway, uh, now it's going to be the day of my, I was, we did a couple house shows and I was Sugar Shane on house shows, cruiserweight champion. Uh, they were mainly uh, triple threats with me, Chavo and Billy Kidman. There might've been a tag match here and there or something like that, but that was um, mainly what it was. Like the only cruiserweights they brought up were me, uh, Chavo and Billy. And at the time, Billy was the much bigger star than I was. So I think initially the idea was that I was going to get established on TV against Chavo, establish me as the WCW Cruiserweight Champion, and I was going to eventually drop the title to Billy Kidman in Atlanta. That was the idea. And Billy was going to go on to face X-Pac, which is what he did. Like I said, Billy Kidman at that particular time, this was pre-Hurricane, so Billy was a, a much bigger star than Sugar Shane was. And I understood the business behind that. Whether I liked it or not, I understood it. But um, you remember there was a match between Booker T and Buff Bagwell that didn't go oh, yeah. the way they planned. And actually, it went awful. So now uh, they looked at the locker room and decided that the, the WCW guys they had, the best match that they could put on was Sugar Shane and Billy Kidman, which is a compliment to us. Sure. But at the same time, now they're going to hot shot the angle. So I never get introduced as a champion and work a program with Chavo. I'm going to drop the title on my TV debut, oh boy. which is 
you know, not quite as glorious as one would hope their debut to be. Now, top on that, that day they come to me and tell me I can't be, I can't be shamed. You know, and I, and I understand that. There's a lot of people that have, you know, try to say, you know, put some negative stuff behind that. But in writing, if you ever take a writing course, you don't want to have characters that have the same name. That's just, you don't want to add any kind of confusion. If you read a book, very rarely will you see characters that have the same name in there. It's just a, a simple writing method or technique. And so I, I kind of guessed that they wouldn't let me be Shane. I hoped. But when they came and told me that, I was like, no big deal. But now I can't be Sugar either because I was Sugar Shane. That's part of the deal. I can't do the vertebraker. That was already kind of you know hinted at me a little bit, even though I snuck it in a couple times after that. I can't have my song, which says vertebraker. If I can't do it, I can't have the song. I'm not going to have the Sugar Babies with me because they were part of my entrance. <laughs> and I'm going to drop the Cruiserweight title all on this one night. Man, you were getting chopped left, right, and center. Dude, I weighed about... Seven pounds by the time. <laughs> and Stephanie's the one kind of telling me this. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. Now, keep in mind, in the back of my head, I already had to deal with back what had happened. And they assured me I wasn't in any trouble. You know, he had you know put his hands on me first. And so I handled myself. And they assured me I wasn't in any trouble. But with that in the back of my mind, and now I just lost my gimmick, you know, my name, my finisher, my entrance, and my title all in one, one conversation. I was like, Jesus Christ. But Stephanie was super cool. And she's like, I know it sounds like a lot. It's okay. We like you. We're going to be fine. I know. Okay. Oh, no. Go ahead, Shane. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, I just like I was agreeing to it, but I I was worried to death. But I still went out there and did the match, and uh, we had a pretty decent match. So after all that, I mean, but you do come in as Cruiserweight champion. You know, at the very least, you are going to be around for a while. But you go through all of that, uh, and not too long down the road, we end up seeing the hurricane. I know you said it wasn't your idea, uh, but what led to the Hurricane character? And if you can remember all the way back, can you take us through that creative process uh, from inception to television of the character being brought to life? Yeah, one of the writers, Brian Gerwitz, had kind of always wanted to do a superhero character. He is a you know, fan of comics, as obviously millions, billions of people are. But um, he just happened to be a comic fan. It was on WWE creative team. And uh, I was a guy that wore comic book shirts to TV all the time. You know, when I worked out, I had a lot, ton of comic book shirts. I was... I didn't hide. I was a, now everybody's a comic book fan because comics run the world, especially in Hollywood. So everybody's a comic book fan now. Well, back then, uh, all of those guys would hide. They wouldn't tell nobody. But I never was ashamed of it. You know, and I had a, the tattoo of the Green Lantern on my shoulder. So I was pretty out there about, you know, that I read books like a nerd. <laughs> so, um, but uh, I'd, I, when they told me I couldn't be uh, Sugar Shane that first night, they called me Gregory Helms. And they wanted me to be Hollywood. Helms, which uh, I politely and you know scared to death, asked them not to not to do that. And they were they you know, not a fan of your big just, role in Ready to Rumble. Uh, maybe it was because of that, but I think you know at the time I had that really shiny robe and I had the girls, and it was like for WCW I had a WWF entrance. If sure. you understand what I'm saying, mm-hmm. you know, with the girls coming out dancing, they just thought it was something real cool. They liked that. They didn't like it enough to do it up there, but I think that's because. Instead of one contract, if they bring in five new, um, four or five new females, you get for just one act that they're that they're not 100% sure is going to get over. You know, now you got six contracts instead of just one. So I understand the business behind not doing it. But anyway, so on that flight home that first night, I'm thinking of all the names I could do, came up with, and all the names I've ever used. And I was the Hurricane Kid briefly in the early, early 90s. 
And so I and I always like the name Hurricane, but because it rhymes with Shane. So Shane Hurricane Helms to me sound cool. And but I knew I couldn't be Shane. So the next week before TV, before the production meeting, and you know how early that shit is. Mm-hmm. I get to the building and I catch Stephanie coming in, and I you know I go and say, "Why do you think about Hurricane Helms?" And she's like, "You don't want to be Gregory, do you?" And I had never gone by Gregory. Gregory's my shoot first name, but I never went by it. And I know I needed a hook, and that's what I told her. I said, no, it just doesn't have a hook. And when I said that term, she looked at me, and I could tell she liked just the yeah. way what I said in that in that point. And by hook, I mean a connection with the fans, mm-hmm. something that the fans can sink their teeth into. you got to have something. Um, and so uh, she went to the production meeting, and I went to catering. And, you know, a couple hours later, I saw Vince walking down the hall, and he goes, Hurricane Helms. I like it. <laughs> gave me the big thumbs up. So now I'm Hurricane Helms, but I'm just dressed like Sugar Shane. Little trunks, little kick pads uh, that everybody wears now, but my little ass was wearing them back then. And, uh, you know, like I said, I was wearing the, um, the the comic T-shirts. I had the thing, and it started with a pre-tape that I did, or a backstage promo with Steve Austin. And it was when Austin had turned heel, and he's, uh, he's with the Alliance now, if you remember all of this. Mm-hmm. And so he's going to try to, He's going to try to hype me up to go attack Kurt Angle. And that's what the promo ended up being. But I really didn't know what we're all getting into. And Vince was directing the promo. And they're just sitting there telling me all the stuff. He's like, when you go in, I think I told you this story, Kevin. They had like a vegetable tray in there. And he goes, when you go in, maybe you eat a carrot. (laughs) Steve will ask you some questions. They'll ask about your tattoo. And when you leave, maybe you eat a tomato. (laughs) And, like, that was really all I had. And every time he told me what the promo was going to be about, he said it just like that. When you go in, maybe you eat a carrot. And, like, now I'm just worried that they stuck these carrots up their ass or something. I didn't know what they did. I was worried that this was a big rib because I'm like, why is he stuck up? But he's just a very very specific guy. Of course. But but you can bet your ass when I went in there, I ate a carrot. (laughs) you You can still watch this promo. But, anyway, Steve asked me about the tattoo. And I just started talking about the Green Lantern like he was a real person. And there wasn't a plan for me to do that. I just did. And at the time, in the books, the Green Lantern had had a big heel turn. So I was like, yeah, he knocked Superman out one punch. And I don't even know why I started talking like that, but I did. Uh, When I left, I ate my damn tomato. (laughs) And uh, just creative liked it. So the next week, and this story, too, I didn't find out until years later. Bruce Pritchard told me this one as well. The next week, Vince was in the hallway talking to Bruce because they got another segment they want me to do. And Vince was like, so tell me again about this Green Lantern because Vince don't know what the hell it's about. Mm. And uh, Steve Austin just happened to be walking by. He goes, that's a goddamn Green Lantern. And just kept right on walking. <laughs> and so Vince goes, okay. And uh, so uh, week after week, I would just do these cut promos and I would just drift off into this tangent where whatever I was supposed to be talking about, I would associate it with some comic book story. And it was all stuff I was making up, most of it, you know, just saying whatever I wanted to say. And they just kind of thought it was funny. And next thing you know, another meeting with Stephanie. And she's like, we're thinking about putting you in a cape and a mask. <laughs> I was like, yeah. And, uh, and she goes, yeah, with a four, you know, four cape and mask and everything. And I go, okay. And I said, well, I'm, I'm basically in my underwear now. You know, because <laughs> I wore them little tiny trunks. So I was like, man, whatever. Uh, I'm glad and, you. Uh, it was off and running from that point. I'm glad you mentioned Steve Austin. So you're rocking and rolling now. Uh, the Hurricanes, you know, in full effect. Uh, there was a point in time where you were a top merchandise seller with the company, only preceded by the Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin. 
Having said that, at least during this time, why do you feel the hurricane was never treated as such on TV uh, to reflect the numbers that he was bringing in? Because it was a comedy character, and it was um, most of the guys in charge uh, just have a certain view toward comedy characters. It's just like Hollywood, man. You know, the movie—if a movie is funny, it's not going to get the Oscar nod, right? You know, it's happened like once or twice out of a hundred years. You know, it's just kind of how it is. You know, you know they're going to give the awards to Meryl Streep. You know, they're not going to give them. You know, to the comedians and and. You know, comedy makes a lot of money, and it's really hard to do comedy, and it's really hard to do it. You can watch it now on any show. You know, there's nothing worse than somebody trying to be funny, and it's not. But that's just kind of what it was, you know. And it was a, you know, superhero has a still a silly connotation to it. There's still people today that, you know, when you talk about Marvel movies, they ignore the success of the Marvel movies. And they're like, yeah, those are comic book stories. And that's, they just really try to dismiss them and dumb them down. Meanwhile, you know, they're making more money than any other franchise out there. And if you've seen the movies, they're very emotional. You know, it's when, you know, Iron Man died or when you saw Peter Parker die in uh, Infinity War too soon, spoiler alert. You know, there was people, you could hear people crying in the theaters. So these are very emotional movies, but they're really dismissed as, you know, comic book movies. Like that's something beneath them. So. I was kind of stuck in that, like I said, and because I was the funny guy, you know, just wasn't viewed uh, like some of the top guys were. But, you know, what really much I could do about that, I couldn't change their views. As There were times that I did. You know, I had a good program with Evolution. You know, I just actually put up a, on Instagram and Twitter today this promo, which might have been one of my very best right, with uh, Triple H. And, um, you know, so I had, a, I had a lot of good stuff, but because I was still the funny guy. So it's just how it is in entertainment, and especially in our industry, they just don't want to give credit to the funny guy. Yeah, Shane, I guess I guess there is there is that ceiling on that comedy type of character, but it's not like you didn't have moments like you just said with Evolution. You were involved in that Rock and Stone Cold uh, storyline heading into WrestleMania. You went over the freaking Rock on TV. I mean, that's a big deal. But you just you talked. You know, you were a superhero character. People have a certain feeling about that. There's no denying you were over, though. And looking at the business right now, what's the biggest thing in wrestling? It's Bray Wyatt. What he is doing with The Fiend is incredible. Where have all the gimmicks gone? Do you think people are the, the boys, the, the wrestlers, are missing something uh, by just kind of being first and last name guys right now? There aren't as many gimmicks, nearly. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, and it was a time when they just wanted to just do realistic gimmick after realistic gimmick, and I was just like, man... If people want to watch MMA, they'll go watch MMA. You know, you watch pro wrestling, uh, you want to see that combat, but you want to see some of the craziness, whether you admit it or not. What separates pro wrestling from Olympic-style wrestling is the crazy shit. That's what separates us. You know, you want that. And you definitely want good wrestling, too. You know, none of us want bad wrestling. You know, No matter what any fan out there may or may not think, none of us want that. But, you know... Uh, there's also, too, some guys that just they can't do that. You know, if you give them a character, they can't pull it off. I've seen a bunch of that, too. So it goes both ways. It has to, creative and the talent have to be on board and they have to commit to it 100%. You know, and that's what made me, that's what made the hurricane work is that I committed to it 100%. You know, I mean, I got 22 amateur gold medals. That's who I was as an athlete. But for me to make that hurricane work, I had to put that on the back seat. I couldn't go out there and wrestle like Sugar Shane did. 
I had to go out there and do the pose and the thumbs up and poke him in the eye and try to choke slam the big show. That's what made that character work. You have to be able to adapt. And that's hard to explain to a lot of guys because they want to go out there and wrestle a certain way. You know, and I would all, I told so many of them, I'm like, listen, like the same Tom Hanks that did Philadelphia is the same Tom Hanks that did big. It's the same guy. You're just playing a different character. So I was able to change my wrestling style to accommodate that character. And that's where a lot of guys miss out on stuff like that. They'll come up with a gimmick, but then that gimmick doesn't translate to what they do in the ring. If it doesn't translate to what you do in the ring, it ain't going to last very long. Piggybacking off of both of you guys, Shane, uh, you you were always so innovative when it comes to your in-ring stuff, as we were just talking about. And this is going to be a fairly long explanation, so bear with me. Uh, you kind of just mentioned, you know, when you went out as the Hurricane, uh, fans were able to suspend their disbelief in you as a character, able to buy into what you were selling them. You never abandoned the character, but still were entertaining uh, and had incredible matches. From where I sit, we're in an age now, like we just said, where I don't see many characters, but guys and girls are an extension of themselves. For example, Seth Rollins isn't a character. He's himself turned up. We Take a look at uh, Ricochet. He's not a character. He's himself turned up. Did the script flip on the industry where fans can suspend their disbelief uh, in those guys because of what they can do in the ring and the fans can't physically do it themselves? Or is there still a place in today's WWE, in today's AEW, uh, in today's independent wrestling scene where the hurricane approach is still valid. Go out there and do all the cool stuff you want to do. Make sure it makes sense. Make sure it's entertaining, but don't abandon the character when the bell rings. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it still can be done, but it's going to be um, it's going to be rare. And that's what made the hurricanes stand out. If everybody could do that, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. Right. But I mean, there's a, uh, you know, like I say, there's characters that are just themselves turned up. That's the easiest thing in the world to do. That badass character, you know, where, you know, creative has decided you're going to win this match. Here's a promo where you talk about winning this match, and then you just go do it. That's the easiest thing in the world. But to be a, a character and a personality that has uh, levels and layers to it, that's, that's super difficult. And that's another thing, too, when I go, you know, I don't want to harp on the funny guy not getting the credit, but. That was the super difficulty of my character that most guys didn't have because I had to make them laugh. I had to go out there and impress them, so I had to make them laugh with my promos. I would go out there and do a shine. At some point, I make them laugh. During the heat, I got to get sympathy for myself. Mm-hmm. So I got to have this believable sell, but then I got to have a comeback that makes them believe I can win the match. So I had to take them all on the journey almost every time that. Most people never had to do that kind of journey, period. Sure. So it was incredibly difficult. And, I mean, once I started getting it down and once it got over, then all of a sudden everybody in the back was like, man, I knew this. I knew this would get over. And I just wanted to choke every one of them to death. (laughs) I'm like, no, you didn't. I saw it because when I first walked down that hallway in that outfit, like everybody was just looking at me like I was an idiot. And they might have been right. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because I looked like an idiot. But it was just. It was super hard. It was way more difficult than just being to put on the black trunks, black boots, be a kick-ass wrestler. That's easy. I can wrestle in my sleep. And I can out-wrestle most of the people that I put over. But that wouldn't have helped that character. And it wouldn't have made that character work for me to do that. So it's a, weird, it's, a weird, it's a weird industry. You know? 
It definitely is a weird industry. Uh, you, we're getting into a lot of your character stuff here, but you just mentioned, you know, you you had the uh, the amateur success. You're an excellent wrestler. You talked earlier about all the different blends of styles that you've come up with to create such a unique in ring style. Where does the credit go for coming up with that? Uh, you've wrestled a lot of different ways, and I think people maybe your in ring work's underrated because of how over the hurricane character is itself. Uh, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head right there. You know, sometimes, you know, I mean, but if you look back at what you can watch, see tapes of Hulk Hogan in Japan, and you're like, man, this guy can go. I just watched him and Stan Hansen the other a, day. Why didn't he do that in America? Well, I mean, the fans in America were reacting differently. So he, but he, but he gave them what they wanted. You know, so it was just it was a different way and it was a different thing. But uh, to answer the first part of your question, you know, I just watched so much wrestling. You know, and I would just pick up little things, and I wasn't consciously trying to come up with this hybrid style that everybody does now it's just something that kind of happened because i had an interest in all kinds of styles you know like most of the most of my wrestling buddies when i was a kid they were like one person on the show well i liked everybody you know whether it was the jobbers getting squashed there were jobbers that i liked or enhancement talent whatever you want to call them there were some of them that i that i liked more than the stars and i was just without really noting without really thinking about it i was studying technique from day one you know, just watching how guys moved and what made it work. You know, I never went to an actual wrestling school. I went to a school, and then in a couple of weeks, I was running the damn thing. <laughs> I knew more than these guys did just by learning. You know, I could see something, and I could do it. And that's why, for years, I wasn't a good trainer. You know, and, and you'll hear this, like, guys, some guys that are really good fighters are really good, like, ball players that they aren't good coaches. And part of that was because things came so easy for me in the beginning. I didn't understand why it was hard for other people. And I didn't have patience. I had to develop patience to teach people for that. And, and that was a part of that. Like, so when I first got in, there was a lot of stuff. I Like the first time I did a moonsault, I had never practiced that in my life. I saw Muda do it. I said, well, shit, I can do it too. So I went out there, gave a guy a backbreaker, and went and did a moonsault and did it just like Muda. That isn't what I would suggest for anybody listening. That I would not suggest that route. Go to a school and get properly trained. <laughs> I just really got lucky in, in how things worked out for me. Uh, Shane, two more here. Uh, obviously, you've been up and down the roads all across the industry, all around the world. Uh, does it ever get lost on you that over the years, uh, through various ways, uh, you've made an impression on wrestling fans that are going to last a lifetime? I, I mean, it, it does. I, it's one of those weird things that that's, the biggest thing about what we do, you know, the biggest thing about any society is the art that it creates, you know, and, and technology, I like to put in that conversation of art because I think technology is an art, but I mean, like you said, like to be able to make people laugh and I've been able to make millions of people on, on this planet laugh. And there was a time that night I beat the rock with you, whether anybody wants to likes me or dislike me. At that particular night, I was the most talked about professional wrestler on the planet, mm -hmm. and therefore one of the most popular people on the planet. Mm -hmm. And so to make a mark like that is very cool, but at the same time, if you think about it too much, your head will go up your ass. Right. <laughs> you know, and it's hard to keep your feet on the ground with your head up your ass. Oof. So it's one of those things that's cool, but at the same time, my proudest achievement is my, is my boys, my sons. So, yeah. you know, you got to stay level-headed. And, but I've enjoyed it. You know, I wouldn't change hardly anything. I mean, I don't know if I would do it over again because the odds were so against me to make it the first time. I doubt it would happen the second time. But um, 
the journey has been incredible. And when we talk about the merchandise, Ken, and didn't I tell you that story that I didn't cash my first merchandise check because I thought it was a mistake? No. <laughs> From WWE, yeah, because WCW, we didn't get none. Right. Like, they would tell us they were going to make some shit, but they never made anything for us. <laughs> and then my Three first— count had uh, a t- Three Count had a T-shirt, you know, didn't they? Say again? Three Count had a T-shirt, right? No, Jimmy Hart made those. Jimmy Hart made those himself. Really? He made like 50 of them and just gave them, like he would throw a couple of them out at shows, house shows, <laughs> or whatever parents were. Jimmy Hart was a hustler. Jimmy Hart, to this day, is one of my favorite people in this industry. That's incredible. And, yeah, so he made them himself. And um, so anyway, oh yeah, so get WCW, and like the, the checks start rolling in, and it wasn't the very first one, but it was the first big one. And I ain't never seen no shit like that. <laughs> and, and so I thought it was a mistake. I was like, oh, man, they sent me somebody else. It, it, it says Shane Helms. But I was like, man, they're going to call me in a day or two and tell me this ain't mine. So I didn't even I didn't even cash it for like two or three days. And that then finally incredible. I was like, hell with it. I'm going to go see what happens. And then I went and bought a house. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, that check definitely cleared. Yeah, them Gregory Helms merchandise checks. Now you couldn't buy pizza with them. <laughs> them hurricane ones. So you could you could buy some stuff. Uh, Shane, last question here. Uh, when you think back on everything, when this is all said and done for you, uh, and you're sitting in your house and uh, you're retired and you're you know you're doing your deal, what is the legacy of Shane Hurricane Helms? Um, I think what people are gonna. I'm one of those guys that, in hindsight, you realize. Man, that guy was kind of good. You know what I mean? <laughs> I probably won't jump to the forefront of most people's minds, but within the business, you know, I get calls from absolute legends all the time, and I don't want to name drop here, so uh, I'm not going to do that. But ask them for my opinion and my outlook on things. And I'm talking about some of the biggest names that have ever done this. So you can mm-hmm. use your imagination sure. there. So I know what my impact is, but um, just being ahead of the curve – isn't always what it's cracked up to be because then you never get the credit for it. Because if you're ahead of the curve, they don't see it coming. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think my impact and my legacy will be that I did it the right way. There's not one story of me ever doing anybody wrong in over 30 years. And I think there's very few guys you can say that about. I might have busted somebody's ass, but they deserved it. <laughs> But in terms of doing bad business and screwing anybody over, doing like that, not one story. And I'm proud of that. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.